Hello, and welcome to this morning's edition of 5 at 8. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, 2023, and I'm Mark Overman, joined by my co-host, Linda Carlisle. In this episode, we will talk about the alarming violence in the Israeli-occupied West Bank by Jewish settlers and the proposal to impose sanctions on them. We'll also discuss the discovery of a well-preserved skull of a giant pliosaur in England, a human rights activist unable to attend the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony due to imprisonment, the unrecognized contributions of a biochemist to mRNA technology for vaccines, and the crucial stage of the COP28 climate talks in Dubai. Stay tuned for all the news of the day. News of the Story number one. The European Union's top diplomat, Joseph Borrell, has expressed alarm over the violence in the Israeli-occupied West Bank by Jewish settlers, as reported by Al Jazeera. He has proposed imposing sanctions on settlers who are violent towards Palestinians. Borrell condemned the Israeli government's approval of more housing units in Jerusalem, which the EU views as a violation of international law. Settler attacks against Palestinians have doubled since October 7th, resulting in numerous deaths and injuries. Borrell plans to work with EU officials to create a list of prominent settlers engaged in attacks and propose sanctions for human rights abuses, as stated by Al Jazeera. The details of the sanctions have not been disclosed, but they may include travel bans to the EU. The U.S. has already imposed a visa ban on settlers involved in violent attacks, and France and Belgium are also considering similar measures. The increase in settler violence is seen as part of an Israeli effort to remove Palestinians from their land. Additionally, Borrell plans to propose a separate sanctions program against Hamas, which is already considered a terrorist organization by the EU, as reported by Al Jazeera. Will you look at that, Linda? The EU's top diplomat, Josep Borrell, is proposing sanctions on Jewish settlers who are violent against Palestinians in the West Bank. It's an interesting move, especially considering the normally cautious approach the EU takes on Middle East issues. This comes amid the recent surge in settler attacks, which is deeply concerning. It's a significant turn of events. It's clear that the international community is becoming increasingly alarmed by the situation. The settler violence in the West Bank is not only causing immediate harm and distress, but it's also undermining any chances for a peaceful resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The approval of 1,700 more housing units in Jerusalem by the Israeli government only adds fuel to the fire. And it's not just about the immediate violence. These settlements are built on territory that Israel captured in the 1967 Arab-Israel War, and their expansion is seen by many as a violation of international law. The number of settlements has increased drastically in the last decade, and Palestinians describe settler violence as part of a larger Israeli effort to force them from their land. Yes, Mark. It seems that the situation is becoming more complex and volatile. The fact that the current Israeli government itself includes ultranationalist settlers and is signaling support for these activities is quite alarming. This may have emboldened the settlers and contributed to the surge in violence. It's a tough nut to crack, isn't it? On one hand, you have the right of a nation to secure its borders and protect its citizens. But on the other hand, the methods being used here are sparking international outcry. If the EU does go ahead with these sanctions, it's going to be interesting to see how Israel and its allies respond. True, Mark. And it's worth noting that the EU isn't the only one taking action. Last month, France said it was also considering such measures, and Belgium said it will ban settlers from the country. But implementing these sanctions might be challenging, 
especially considering that countries like Austria, the Czech Republic, and Hungary are staunch allies of Israel. And then there's the United States, Israel's biggest ally, which also imposed a visa ban on settlers involved in violent attacks. It's a complex web of alliances and interests, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. The consequences of these actions, and the potential for retaliation, could be significant. It also raises the question of how effective these sanctions will be in deterring settler violence and promoting peace in the region. But, as Burrell said, it's time to move from words to actions. So, we'll have to wait and see. Story number two. According to CNN, the well-preserved skull of a giant pliosaur, a prehistoric sea monster, has been discovered on a beach in Dorset, England. The fossil, which is about 150 million years old, is almost 3 million years younger than any other pliosaur find, and could potentially be a new species. The excavation of the fossil was a challenging and time-sensitive task due to the risk of erosion. The pliosaur was a formidable predator with razor-sharp teeth and a bite twice as powerful as a saltwater crocodile. The discovery of this fossil provides valuable insights into the characteristics and behavior of these ancient creatures. The findings will be featured in the upcoming BBC documentary Attenborough and the Jurassic Sea Monster, presented by Sir David Attenborough, as reported by CNN. Could you believe it, Linda? This pliosaur discovery is truly remarkable. The skull was nearly intact, giving us an exciting peek into the past. And the fact that it's almost three million years younger than any other pliosaur find? That's just mind-blowing. Yes, Mark. It's like a time capsule from the Jurassic era. And what I find fascinating is how well-preserved it is. It offers such a comprehensive understanding of the creature's anatomy. The sensory pits on the skull, for instance, suggest that it could detect changes in water pressure, hinting at its hunting tactics. Yeah, just imagine. A creature so massive and fearsome, it could prey on practically anything that crossed its path. And the bite strength. Twice as powerful as a saltwater crocodile. It's like something straight out of a blockbuster movie. Indeed, it's a testament to the incredible diversity and adaptability of life on Earth. But let's not forget the human element here, the painstaking effort that goes into unearthing and restoring such fossils. The paleontologist Steve Etches and his team, they braved dangerous conditions to make this discovery possible. It's quite commendable. No doubt about it, Linda. It's a risky business, but the rewards in terms of scientific knowledge and understanding are immeasurable. This discovery could even lead to the identification of a new species. And that's the beauty of paleontology. It's like a detective story, piecing together the history of life on Earth from these ancient remnants. Well put, Mark. Each discovery, like this pliosaur, provides a fresh perspective on our past, and perhaps even insights into our future. Through studying these ancient creatures and their environments, we can learn more about how species adapt to changing climates, or even why they go extinct. It's a fascinating interconnected web of life, time, and change. Story number three. According to NPR, Narjas Mohammadi, an Iranian human rights activist, was unable to attend the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony in Oslo due to her imprisonment for advocating for women's rights and democracy in Iran. Her twin children, Ali and Kiana Ramani, delivered her acceptance speech on her behalf. Mohammadi has been arrested 13 times, convicted five times, and sentenced to a total of 31 years in prison and 154 lashes. 
NPR reports that the prize was awarded to her for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran and her advocacy for human rights and freedom. Mohammadi paid tribute to the protesters in Iran and expressed hope for a future of democracy and human rights in the country. Do you know, Atlenda, the story of Narjis Mohammadi winning the Nobel Peace Prize while still behind bars is nothing short of awe-inspiring. It's a testament to her unyielding fight for women's rights and democracy, despite the oppression she's faced. Heck, it's a stark reminder that despite the immense progress we've made globally, there are places where the fundamental human rights are still being trampled upon. Mohammadi's story is indeed a sobering reminder of the realities that many women and activists face in countries with oppressive regimes. It's heartbreaking to think that she's been arrested 13 times and sentenced to a total of 31 years in prison and 154 lashes. Yet her spirit remains unbroken. She continues her fight, much like other historical figures who stood against injustice. It's reminiscent of Rosa Parks' fight during the U.S. civil rights movement or Aung San Suu Kyi's struggle in Myanmar. These were all women who stood their ground, facing down oppressive systems. And it's not just about resistance. It's about affecting change, instigating evolution in society's mindset. So true, Mark. And I think it's important to recognize the role of international recognition, like the Nobel Peace Prize, in amplifying these voices. These awards not only honor the work of these brave individuals, but also draw global attention to the oppressive regimes they're fighting against. It's a way of exerting pressure on these regimes to change. That's right. And let's not forget the generational impact these figures have. Take Mohammadi's children, for instance, stepping in to accept the award on her behalf and delivering her powerful message. They've seen firsthand the price of fighting for what's right and they're ready to carry on her legacy. Now that's what you call making a difference. It's a poignant reminder that the fight for human rights, democracy, and social change is a continuous journey. It's passed down from one generation to the next. The courage and resilience of individuals like Mohammadi inspire younger generations to keep the flame of change burning. It's a fight that's far from over, but with each passing generation, we move a step closer to a more equitable world. Story number four. In a report from the Wall Street Journal, Jason Shrum, an obscure biochemist in the Seattle area, played a crucial role in the development of mRNA technology for vaccines, but his contributions have largely gone unrecognized. While working for a startup called LS18, Shrum discovered a modification of mRNA molecules that improved their efficacy and protein production. This discovery was instrumental in the development of mRNA vaccines, including those for COVID-19. However, Shrum faced challenges and disagreements at the company, eventually leaving before the vaccines were developed. He now finds himself on the outside looking in as mRNA research progresses, but recently received shares from Moderna, the biotech company he worked for, which are currently worth $1.8 million. Shrum is now involved in a lawsuit between Moderna and Pfizer regarding mRNA patent infringement, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. Whoa, Linda, this is a heck of a story, right? Jason Shrum, the unsung hero behind the mRNA vaccines. You know, this just goes to show that success in science, like any other field, is often a collective effort. I mean, it's a bittersweet tale, but it highlights how the hard work of many individuals contributes to these breakthroughs, even if not all of them end up under the spotlight. Yes, Mark, it's an eye-opening narrative indeed. But you know, I can't help but feel a bit disheartened. The system that we have in place to recognize and reward scientific achievements seems to be flawed. 
While it's true that scientific advancements are often the result of collective efforts, it's crucial that each contributor's work is acknowledged and appreciated. Ignoring someone's contribution, as in Shrum's case, can be demoralizing, and it raises questions about the fairness of how credit is allocated. Well, Linda, I see your point. But isn't it a part of the game? I mean, in the world of science and research, it's not just about who did what, but also about who gets the word out first, who patents the discovery. Shrom himself admits that he didn't see the patent application by Carrico and Weissman. Maybe, just maybe, if he had been more proactive in staking a claim, things would have turned out differently. And let's not forget, he did receive shares from Moderna, worth about $1.8 million, so it's not like his contribution went completely unrewarded. I understand where you're coming from, Mark, but I still think it's a bit too simplistic to put the onus entirely on the individual. The story is a glaring example of the systemic issues in our scientific community. It's just not about monetary compensation, but the recognition and respect one deserves for their work. And this lack of recognition, it can have a knock-on effect, leaving talented scientists feeling underappreciated and potentially driving them away from the field. Maybe it's time we rethink how we allocate credit in science. Story number five. According to Reuters, the COP28 climate talks in Dubai are entering a crucial stage as countries debate whether to call for an end to fossil fuels. UN Climate Chief Simon Steele urged countries to reach a final deal, warning that stepping back from ambitious goals will cost lives. The main issues in the debate are the ambition to tackle climate change and the funding and support for that aim. A coalition of over 80 countries, including the U.S. and E.U., are pushing for a deal to phase out fossil fuels, but face opposition from countries like Saudi Arabia. Negotiators have until Tuesday to reach an agreement. Tell you what, Linda, these COP28 talks are really heating up, no pun intended. It's a difficult road to navigate, for sure. On one side, you've got countries pushing for an agreement to phase out fossil fuels, which, let's be honest, is long overdue considering the state of our planet. But on the other, you've got countries like Saudi Arabia, de facto leader of the OPEC oil producers group, that are opposing this move. Absolutely, Mark. It's a complex issue. Countries like Saudi Arabia, Russia, Iraq, and Iran, they've got substantial oil reserves and their economies are heavily reliant on the revenue from fossil fuel exports. It's not just about economic interests, but also about energy security. Fossil fuels still produce around 80% of the world's energy. Phasing out fossil fuels without a solid transition plan could potentially destabilize these economies and lead to energy shortages. You're spot on, Linda. It's like trying to change the tires on a moving car. But let's not forget this is not a new song. We've seen this play out before in previous summits. Remember Kyoto Protocol and Paris Agreement? They also aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but implementing and enforcing these agreements was another story. Yes. For example, the Paris Agreement was a historic achievement, but the U.S. withdrawal during the Trump administration was a major setback. This highlights another challenge. The changing political landscape can greatly affect the continuity and effectiveness of these agreements. Furthermore, these accords often struggle with the issue of fairness. Developing countries argue that they shouldn't have to bear the same burden of reducing emissions as developed countries, which have historically contributed the most to global warming. It's a classic case of you broke it, you fix it. But at the end of the day, climate change doesn't care about national borders or economic disparities. We all have to face the music. 
Though I agree, fairness in burden sharing is crucial for any deal to succeed. Right, Mark. Climate change is an existential threat, and we all have a role to play in addressing it. However, the solution needs to be equitable and considerate of the diverse socioeconomic realities of different countries. The challenge for COP28 and future summits is to strike that balance, to ensure that the transition to sustainable practices is just and inclusive. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.